Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to full see my head. We wait, hold on. Somebody wants to say something? Oh, sure. Over to you, Lance. You heard it. That's right. The Astros are World Series champions. Saturday night, game six, 4-1 victory. The Astros took home the dub. It was an exciting game. It was a great game. Uh, obviously, whole city's been partying. We've been rocking these last couple of days. That's why we're a little late getting this episode out, but uh, still here with you guys. Twice, twice in the last six seasons, the Astros are on top of the major leagues. And man, it, it, it feels good. Lorenzo, tell me, what's your one word? How does it feel to be a champion? Victorious, I just say, because, oh my God, 2017, five years that we haven't raised that trophy in a good while. We had chances in 19 and 21, but 22 was the year. And it's funny because, you know, 17's an odd year, 19's an odd year, 21's an odd year. It was a pattern right there. You know, 18, we got knocked down the ALCS, 20, we got knocked out as well. Hey, we're World Series champions. We're raising that trophy and everything like that. And of course, from all the players that we have released through the years, like Springer, Correa, Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton, all these other guys that, you know, are really all-star potential players. Yeah. Um, even MVP finalists that could be in the future, and Correa at least, and Springer. I mean, what can you say about this team in the front office that they do with these players that we have in the farm system? Next thing you know, they come through, you know, double A, triple A, you know, the single A's and everything like that. Come into the majors and dominate and dominate. My fault. Framer Valdez, Christian Javier is probably the best example right there. Coming through Fayetteville, going to Corpus Christi, uh, had a little bit of time in Round Rock. Same thing as Alvarez. He went to Corpus, a little bit of his time in Round Rock, Tucker as well. I mean, we're just reloading at this point. We are not really settling down for a rebuild year, anything like that, because we did that shit yeah. through the 2010, 2011, 2012 years. Nah, Jim Crane has his eyes on winning, and that's the best thing you can, you know, ask for as an owner of a franchise like this. So victorious is my one word for this, really the whole season and even the World Series. I mean, these guys busted their ass like Dusty had told everybody. They busted their ass throughout the season. They've gone through some injuries. They've gone through some highs, some lows. But at the end, it's all worth it because you're raising that trophy and we will be seeing a 22 banner at Minime Park in opening day. Yeah, I, I felt like so much of this win, it was obviously, you know, it's great to win the World Series, but it feels like finally turning a new page in a lot of ways. Um, you know, stepping back from the scandal, stepping back from those kind of years in limbo. Obviously, you have those two World Series losses that are going to haunt us, I guess, to some degree. I mean, I feel a lot better about them now than, than yeah. I did, you know, two weeks ago. Um, you know, like 19, we ran into a team of destiny buzzsaw. 21, we were so unhealthy. We were so unhealthy by the time we got to the World Series last year. It's borderline a miracle we got there. Um, but I think, you know, for everything to come together in this year, I think turning the page into next year, like you said, you've got an owner who's focused on winning. You have a relatively young team with a lot of core talent locked up, uh, as we'll talk about. Like, it, it feels great right now winning but also the fact that you know that we're not done yet like this is not a flash yeah. in the pan you know like look at the nationals right they won the world series in 2019 and they're in the draft lottery right now 
Like they're now one of the worst teams in baseball. And then That's you know, gonna... think about the Cubs too as well. Yeah. I mean, the Cubs just in it that one hundred eight year uh, drought, and all of a sudden they never been to the World Series after that. I mean, that's yeah, the thing no, about I mean, that. That's not gonna. That's not what's gonna happen to Houston. That's not the story. This is just like the beginning. Like as excited and as happy as I was after you know Game Six comes to an end and watching that confetti fall, it was like, oh, all right, man. you know, when spring training, like let's go. Like I'm ready to get back at it here. Um, but yeah, so let's let's talk Game Six. You know, last time we we talked to you guys, it was our Game Six preview. And we talked about some key things that needed to happen. We talked about needing to get a strong start from Framber. Check. Got that. We talked about needing to get to Wheeler early. And we did not do that. That was one thing that was not accomplished. Uh, and we talked about Jordan and Altuve. Like, those are two guys that you're needing to step up and when the moment gets big. And we got that box checked in epic fashion. But Framber Valdez, I mean... My what a gosh. guy. What a season. Uh, yesterday, the uh, Baseball Writers of America Awards came out. He was not a finalist for the American League Cy Young, but I think Game 6 showed that he damn sure should have been. Yeah, I mean, he 20-something quality starts. He has a single-season MLB record already. You know, we could go throughout the, uh, throughout the whole list of Framer Valdez doing what he's been doing this whole year. Um, of course, his psychologist being the MVP as well of getting him back on track and getting him an all-star potential, even, you know, maybe he could be an MVP finalist in the future. We don't know, but as an ACE now, he has settled himself as an ACE. Um, you know, all the hard work he's put in, giving back to the community. Well, he's done everything right. And look right there. It just shows glory to God and everything that he has done. Yeah. Right there. That world series game. Really, game one and not game one, game two and game six. I mean, both great games from two him. Wins. I, two wins and just one earned run each, I believe, in both games as well. So, um, ended the night with 93 pitches, 57 were strikes. He only gave up, um, but let me just say the stat line all right, six innings, two hits, one earned run, two walks, nine strikeouts. He only gave up a hit to Alec Baum, and then, of course, the solo shot to Kyle Schwarber, which I'm so glad. This World Series has ended and that we have won because guy. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't stand him anymore because he's been a thorn in our side. But anyway, got that home run, the sixth inning. And, you know, some people were thinking like, oh, shit, Fra uh, Framer's going to get, you know, out of rhythm. Schwarber just hit a bomb. Momentum's going to Philly. It's one run, one hit. Ain't shit. It wasn't shit. No. And sure enough, what it we're talking about nothing in a minute. To me. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, you just tip your cap. I mean, Framber's been pitching great, but he just made a mistake and Schwarber capitalized on it. But, dude, I mean, that ball was a shot. Like, it um, it hit the – man, I don't, it's not a scoreboard. You know, the little um, – damn it, I can't even think of, like – Yeah, like it. the LED strip thing. Yeah. It one, like, one of the parts right there would just went blacked, like just blacked <laughs> out. I mean, that's how hard this guy hits the ball. But um, as a that frozen see... rope machine. Oh, dude. I mean, the way he just throws his hand to the ball is just crazy good. But just glad that we just gave up that solo shot. And that was another thing, too. I mean, just not having people on base whenever these big hitters in Romuto, Harper, and Schwarber come up to, you know, the plate. And sure enough, solo shot didn't hurt us really well. Just like I said, he just gave up two hits, one being to Bowman. The other one being to Schwarber. So 
Nice strikeouts, though. I mean, this guy was a ground ball pitcher, but it don't even look like he's a ground ball pitcher. He's looked like a strikeout machine throughout this whole postseason. He's been just cutting them up lately. Yeah, big time. Yeah, no, it it, it was great performance from Framber. And, like, yeah, the, the Schwarber solo shot, it was more of, like, just annoying. And, like, obviously it gave him a one nothing lead at the time. But it, did, it really never felt like it, – it never felt dangerous. Like, it never felt no. like – you know, there was anything to be concerned about um, because you knew Framber had been performing so well and you knew that that was probably his last inning and that they weren't going to get anything else out of the bullpen. Like, I, I feel like coming into this game, it was just like, just get it to Framber, keep it manageable, and the bullpen will lock it down. And that's pretty much exactly what happened because the bullpen did exactly what they needed to do as well. Um, but how soul-crushing that Schwarber gives that, gets that shot Gives Philly a glimpse of hope. Zach Wheeler's been dealing, and he My did gosh. not have he did not have the velocity issues that you know we and a lot of people were expecting. Nope. Uh, he was humming it in there, 97, 98, 99, all night long. Um, even when he started off the game throwing like that, I was like, all right, he's just amped up. He's gonna fall off a cliff. Never happened. It, it never did. He kept um, kept performing super super well, and the bats just weren't really scratching much off against him. Until mm-hmm. the bottom of the sixth, after Schwarber hits that home run, uh, and, and things started to get going. But what better way for the bats to respond than the bottom of the sixth that unfolded in Minute Maid Park? You know, all season and all postseason, we've seen this team kind of get their backs against the wall and generally respond. You know, they they go down to Seattle. Not once, but twice. They come through in the 18th inning. They, you know, pretty much dominate New York. But this team is built for these scenarios. And I think another theme of this postseason has been unlikely heroes. With Altuve and Alvarez being, you know, largely missing from most of the postseason, we've seen Trey Mancini come up with big plays. We've seen Chaz McCormick make a big catch. We've seen... Uh, Christian Vasquez come in and you know catch a no hitter. Kyle Tucker, another Kyle one. Tucker, you know, but uh, the hero that got things started in game six, the unspoken hero, was Martin Maldonado facing Zach Wheeler. He knew he couldn't hit him, he knew it, but using that catcher's instinct, he knew exactly how to get to him. Maldi comes up to the plate, and that dude is like on the batter's box, he was a full yeah. six inches. On the uh, closer to the plate than he was in his last at bat, just just begging to get hit, and that's exactly what happened. The Wheeler runs inside, and Maldi, you know, he he pulls his arm back into himself as he's supposed to do, and just as, as Evo Ma- Shield catches baseball and gets on. And first. Maldi too, dude. Like you know, he was dealing with a broken hand as well. So yeah, like, a, just imagine he was just trying and to a hernia win and the a sports game. hernia. Yes, exactly. So, you know, he was just trying to get on base for the next player up. And sure enough, that's what he did when Pena hit a single up the middle. Um, Al- well, Altuve got into a uh, fielder's choice. So Altuve was at first, moved to third. So he had runners on the corner. Zach Wheeler gets, you know, he comes out of the game. Ron Thompson pulls him out. And, you know, which was crazy because, like, I was in the stands and then I looked at his pitch. He had 70 pitches with 49 of them being strikes. Ended the night with the five and a third, uh, three hits, two earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts. 
This guy was dealing all game. I mean, Jordan has struggled too, rolling over. I would have taken a gamble. I would have taken a chance, but that's just me. And I guess Rob Thompson didn't see ALD as a game one when Scott Service took out Patrick Seawald and brought in Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray, a left-handed hitter. What is, how has Jordan Alvarez been doing against left-handed pitching this season? Phenomenal. Almost a 300 yeah. batting average. Um, so anyway, Jose Alvarado comes up, you know, lefty on lefty situation. I, it's just Alvarez is just thinking about like how he was thinking when Robbie Ray was coming in. It's just, all right, you're going to do this. Let's do it. And sure enough, that ball was launched. Like it's crazy moonshot. I mean, that ball, like it's almost, it's, it's more perfect than Albert Pujols' ball orbiting you know, whatever surface of the planet, wherever, you know, Mars, Jupiter, I don't, you know, I don't care. Freaking Alvarez, though, that ball looked like it did not even want to land. It looked like it just continued to go yeah. onto Crawford, going to uh, Commerce Street on downtown. I mean, that ball was launched, dude, over the batter's eye as well. My gosh. what I mean, that's the strength on that man, too. We don't even know if he's dealing with any hand soreness too throughout this postseason. Maybe that's why he wasn't getting going, you know, through the ALCS and the World Series as well. But that play right there, game changer of the game. Momentum was on our side. Fans were loud. Fans were in it. I mean, man, the atmosphere was just crazy. And, I mean, it was just a beautiful sight to see. 450-foot home run. It was the second longest home run in World Series history. Obviously, Freddie Freeman has the one in 2021 being 460 feet. And our good old boy, George Springer, was third on the list and uh, from 2017. So just crazy, dude. I mean, that shot was just blasted. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. And I think that, you know, like we talked about in our Game 6 preview, it was going to be Altuve or Alvarez. Like, one of them had to step up. And the more I thought about it after the fact, I thought about what you said a couple of weeks ago that Altuve is the heart of the team and Jordan is the heart of the lineup. And it was always, it really, it was always going to be him. And then in Jeff Passan's article, he talked about how the first thing that Dusty said to Jordan on the morning of Game Six was, "Hey, like it's you tonight. You're the man tonight." And there were like three or four of the people that all said, "It's you, Jordan. Like you're going to be the one tonight." And um and, and sure enough, I felt like, you know, I, watching at home and again, bringing like you mentioned, bringing in Alvarado, I thought was a really weird decision. Yeah. Um, we talked about on on game in our game six preview. We've seen him a ton. We had seen Alvarado a bunch coming into game six and had hit him pretty decently. I think I think he'd thrown like 50 something pitches between games two and game or game three and game five. So I, I thought that was a really weird decision. And kind of another thing, you know, we've we've talked about over managing, right? And this, you know, pulling guys before they're ready. And really, Rob Thompson made every decision right in this series up until that. But you know who does not make that call? You know who leaves Zach Wheeler out to face Jordan Alvarez in that situation? Who is it? Dusty Baker would leave Zach Wheeler out there. Exactly, and he did that for. I, I firmly, everybody, I firmly believe that. I think so too. You got to leave your ace in there. I mean, Zach Wheeler was doing great this whole postseason for the guys until he ran into the Astros in the World Series of Game, um, Game Two. I mean, you got to trust him. It's, like I said, seventy pitches. 
and you know you're you're he is well rested your team is literally on the line on the on the verge of losing this world series and they're winning 1-0 that's why i'm saying Alvar- Al- alvarado alvarez has been struggling throughout you know like you said from after game 1 and game 2 of that alds he has been struggling he even had that stretch of being 4 for 32 uh, we've, you've seen the at-bats, swinging at high strikes, popping up, trying to, like, he looks like he was doing too much, rolling over right yeah. there, one out with the runners on the corner. You got to take your chance. Just take your chance. If it's a fielder's choice, it's still a brand, it's a brand new go- uh, ball game, 1-1, you know, it happens. But doing that and bringing in Jose Alvarado, I thought that was crazy. And, you know, each series has been like that. Scott Service, overmanaged. Brought in Robbie Ray instead of trust, uh, trusting that good bullpen of his. Um, New York series, Aaron Boone changed the lineup, trying to get something going. I mean, he put Bader at five, and then he put him at uh, leadoff. He switched Glaber from the leadoff and put him like at three, I believe. I mean, he was just overmanaging the lineup. And then Rob Thompson, like you said, he's been pinpoint on everything he's done throughout this postseason, including the World Series. Right there, though, overmanaged it killed that team just like that in a snap of a finger so yeah you know I mean, it shows because with, I mean, with one swing of the bat you go from one nothing philly to three one houston that's huge and then the inning wasn't even over yet uh bregman draws a walk tucker strikes out and then christian vasquez uh with with an insurance run single for a four-run inning and you know that's another kind of understory the astros won this world series on like a handful of big innings we were rarely you know stringing runs together over the course of a game a four-run inning in game six, what, a five-run inning in game four? Um, you know, it, it was it was these big innings uh, here and there that just kind of launched this. And and from there, I, I mean, I felt by the bottom of the sixth, 4-1, Astros bullpen, it's over. It's yeah, over. It was Like, exactly. it was over. Like, I, I, I didn't even – I mean, obviously, I, I was excited when the final out was recorded – but to me, like the game had been over for an hour. Like once once Jordan hit that home run, it was done. It was sealed. And I felt even I felt super confident going into game six that it was over anyway. But you know, when Jordan launches that nuke, it was it, it was done so. And, and another uh, thing I wanted to add it to, like he acquisitions came in in this game yeah, right here. Did. I mean, Trey Mancini finally got his hit throughout the whole postseason, the last game of the freaking postseason, he gets a hit. Um, you know, you coming out to play first base when Yuli Guria obviously had that injury and everything like that. And then Christian Vasquez being in that DH role, Corey Lee had it, uh, um, you know, was added to the roster for Yuli Guria being dropped. And that's what we needed. We needed somebody that could hit David Hensley could put into that category of being the guy yeah. at first, but, uh, Dusty wrote, not really wrote the dice because we know how Christian Vasquez can hit. And put him as the DH, and look, he made one of the insurance runs for this team. So, you know, James Click did a great job at the trade deadline. We'll talk a little bit more about his future, but key acquisitions right there just showed up at the right time, and that's why we brought him into this organization for moments like this. Yeah, it, it did. Those it, everything seemed to kind of play out perfectly in the Astros' favor, and with that four-one lead, they turned it over to the bullpen, and it was pretty much shut down from there. Uh, Neris, one inning pitch, two strikeouts, and he was pumped up. That dude gets fired up. I'm glad that dude, we got you know, him. Dude, you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Jose, uh, 
Jose Lima. Yeah. Lima time. He like yeah. all his strut and everything he does, like the energy he brings out after like a key strike. Yeah, he's a party like animal. Ex- oh man, this guy is crazy when it gets to beer and alcohol and everything <laughs> like that. Who doesn't? But I mean, that's who he reminds me of. I, just the energy he brings. I love it. Yeah, no, he's 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 a good presence. Uh, and then Abreu works the eighth, one inning pitch, one strikeout. And then enter Ryan Presley coming in with a 4-1 lead to close this thing off and win the World Series. And he takes care of business. One inning pitch. He'd give up that hit to Real Muto. Gets Harper to fly out. And then gets, obviously, the forever famous uh, foul out for Castellanos. Which, hey, by the way, I skipped past this. How about Kyle Schwarber bunting with two strikes in the in the top of the Oh, eight? my God. What a bozo. I thought that was crazy. I was trying to figure out why the hell he did that. Did like, do you think he forgot the he count must have, or something? He that's the only thing I can think is that he he didn't know what the count was because I mean he's a professional baseball player like that that doesn't happen. And like the look on his face afterward, you could tell he was like, oh my god, I'm an idiot. Like, but yeah, that was that was rough. Uh, Bryce Harper 0 for four in Game Six. Um, womp womp. You know, I, I don't know what you say. Uh, but yeah, Cast- <laughs> you know Castianos, and again Castianos being a pain in the ass, uh, working the count a little bit before he flies out. And Tucker made a Tucker made a pretty long run to make that play right up right up at the wall. Um, but but Tucker squeezes it, and it's it's ball game. It's World Champion Houston Astros. Confetti starts falling. What was it like? You were there. Walk us through the moment. How did that place explode? Man, dude, it was emotional. I mean. You know, like, as a fan, you've gone through the bads of the Astros, you know. The first time they got to the World Series, I was there when I was little. And I remember when, I think it was Orlando Palmero. I think that was the guy that had gotten that little out over Bobby Jinx and the shortstop had grabbed it and do it at first. And next thing you know, you see them partying on your field. That shit sucks. I mean, and, and especially when you get swept. That's even the worst feeling, I think. Yeah. Um, so, like, we've been through the ups and downs. As a fan, you got to embrace it. I mean, from the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s, like, all the history of the Astros baseball, this golden age that we're going through right now, you cannot take for granted because you never know when you're going to reach it. Like, the Cubs, for instance, being 108 years that they haven't won their World Series or the Curse of the Bambino with the Boston Red Sox. I mean, it's just, you know, yeah. it's a great time to be alive just to witness stuff like that. And I was lucky enough to witness a World Series clincher on our field. And I mean, like, I mean, everybody was excited. High fives were going. Beer was thrown up in the air. Um, just full excitement, dude. I mean, probably one of the most memorable moments I will remember, you know, to the day I die. I mean, fascinating and everything like that. Of course, seeing Raw Manfred, you know, present. Jim Crane, the trophy that I'm pretty sure he never wanted to present him to begin with. All the fans were giving it to him, dude. I, I loved it. I was even I was included in that bunch as well because you know he was he made us the scapegoat. I will never forget that. I know Astro fans out there will never forget that. Um, but just overall, I mean, the game, how it ended. Um, like I had told you off air, I mean, Trey Mancini with so much excitement. I mean, if you look at the video too. He gets that glove. He just hauls that thing to the dugout and just starts running, you know, to the pitcher's mound. I mean, especially what he's yeah. been going through. It's baseball is a beautiful sport. 
just regardless, period. But crazy excitement, fantastic. I mean, all the words you want to say. Yeah, and, and it was cool seeing the reactions, you know, from the guys like Mancini, who is their first one. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the the five veterans who've been there before. Um, I just saw actually just yesterday, I saw the video of Verlander and his daughter when he like when when he picks her up and like you can just tell he's so emotional. Like you can just like see his eyes getting full and, you know, it's just taking it all in. And he's talked at length about how much like she's changed his perspective and, you know, given him this like kind of new lease on life and baseball. And it's like seeing those guys enjoy that moment at home uh, in front of the Houston fan base that loves them and has supported them through everything was awesome. And, and, and I thought about it afterward. I was like, you know what? I should, that should have been my prediction. I should have predicted Houston in six anyway, because there was this, this series was always going to end at home. It was it, like, that's just what had to happen. And I think that kind of goes into um, that turning a new page thing, because it's like all of Houston just got to party together and like, celebrate and the videos coming out from the streets of downtown of everybody my celebrating gosh, dude. it was it was hell and... getting out of downtown oh, too, i'm sure dude. oh my gosh but i mean i mean it was worth it though too at the same time because yeah world series champions you're gonna you're never gonna get that you know you never know when this team could just demolish and hopefully you know knocking on wood never does but you like i said you just can't take these things for granted you got to live the moment and you know, you will talk about your experience in the parade in a minute, but seeing the things too, the parades, um, you know, seeing them celebrate on the field, seeing, you know, the post game celebrations in the clubhouse. I mean, yeah, you got to take that for granted. You got to enjoy that moment because you never know when it's, you know, you just never know when it's going to happen again. So, I mean, yeah, and, and I think like to me, it, it was cool seeing, especially in the, in the days after that, like, and not to get all mushy, but like that was the best of Houston on Saturday night of, you know, one of the most most diverse cities in America. And they everybody was just like it was like love and happiness and partying mm-hmm. and celebrating that team because like Houston's been through its share of, of, of troubles as well. And the Astros have always been there and like the Astros go through a hard time and, and the city of Houston was always there for them. And you're just seeing everybody celebrating and Shout out Houston. We don't burn shit down when our team wins a freaking mm-hmm. title. You know, none of those crazy Philly fans or whatever. Um, another uh, thing, was, too, real quick. Awesome. Another thing. The Philadelphia Phillies didn't even congratulate the Astros on Twitter. And you know the only team out there that congratulated us? Yeah. The Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Ain't Jays. that some shit? Somebody I didn't I, realize I have... the Phillies didn't congratulate us. Yeah, they us. didn't. That sucks. Um, That's shitty. We, um, we congratulated them. You know them northeastern people. That's how they're gonna freaking be, which I'm not even worried about. But I saw somebody had comment like they're like the Canadian north of us or something like that. <laughs> but um, you know, crazy. I and mean, that's that's your sportsmanship. That's how you see it right there. I mean, can't do nothing about it. Y'all asked for us and everything like that. Like McCuller said, you know, Red October, all that stuff. I mean, God, bell I mean that speech too. Ring the bell. Ring the F and bell that that's going to live in infamy right there. Yeah. And, and it was great just seeing that trophy get raised again at minute made first time a home team has won the world series on their field uh, since 2013. Uh, and the Astros, of course, for the second time, dusty Baker finally gets his ring as a manager. Got one as a player uh, in his first season with the Dodgers. Um, and 
there he is bat or not his first i think 81 was the, t the year he won yeah 81 the it wasn't it wasn't his first year um mm -mm. but yeah he uh had a one ring as a player was the winningest manager to never have a world series ring as a manager 2093 wins i think yeah um and and he got it done and and his joy and like just seeing him celebrating uh, was awesome seeing the dugout swarm him as tucker recorded the last out um just just so much good stuff like i mean we can go baseball, on and on dude. and on baseball like that that's it that's it. it it's baseball it's a beautiful game it is a game of fate it is a game of circumstance it it, it is a game we all love so 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 much uh, and then the trophy presentation, of course, we mentioned this. Jeremy Pena becomes the third rookie to win World Series MVP, the first position player rookie uh, to win MVP of the World Series. He hit 400 in the World Series with three extra base hits, one home run uh, with the 102.3 OPS. He, I mean, he was everything you wanted to be. He, he flashed the leather a little bit too and just capped off an incredible rookie season. I mean, yeah, I know we're I mean, they've already shown the um the finalists for the rookie of the year, Rutschman, uh Stephen Kwan and Julio Rodriguez. Obviously, Julio's gonna win that award, which, yeah. you know, credit to him. He did have a great regular season and everything like that. But my God, Jeremy Pena just showed up in the postseason like this was his rookie of the year kind of thing for him. Oh, yeah. Obviously, the first, you know, series he went against Julio Rodriguez. And like I was telling you off the air, I mean, I thought that was crazy how the home run ended up at center field and Julio had just to look at the ball, just yeah. go over the fence, you know, one rookie to another. But um, according to Sarah Lynx, too, only rookie to have at least one hit in six straight World Series games, 20 Boys. hits in the postseason, 20 hits in the postseason tied with Chipper Jones being the fourth and most in, um, you know, MLB history in the postseason. So this kid, I mean, he's already defined himself as one of the greats at the position right now. I mean, only rookie to win a um, a Gold Glove Award, third rookie to win the World Series MVP. Like you said, the first position player, Levon Hernandez and Larry Sherry, were the other two rookies. I mean, this kid, ALCS MVP, World Series MVP. I mean, what can you say? I mean, his craft and everything like that. Like we yeah. said, everybody was worried about Carlos Correa leaving Houston and then Jeremy Pena having to fill it up. None of us, like including myself, I didn't think he was ready yet. But obviously, I mean, when it came to the like when it mattered the most, my gosh, this guy was a monster. And to do it, like you said, I mean, when Altuve and Alvarez were really down throughout this postseason, Pena stepped up. He was like, you know what? I'm put this team on my back. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to try to get us into the winning position. And sure enough, I mean, he did. I mean, he set the tone in um in game five, game four as well. I mean. What a stud. What a stud. I'm glad we're going to have him for a while. Me too. And, you know, I Jared Carabas said this on the Baseball is Dead uh, recap that you know who he is, right? You know who Pena is. And this is a, this is a bold, a bold label to give a rookie. But do you realize who he is for the Houston Astros or who he might become? Who? He's Derek Jeter, dude. Man. I like the comparison. I, mean, I like the I comparison. Mean, that that's that's the way he plays, the way he shows up. 
the way he carries himself, the way that the cameras on him and they're interviewing him, asking him exactly. about what, yeah, how does you it make feel a to point. win World Series MVP. You make and a he point. Says, yeah, and he says, I don't care. It's not about the individual accomplishments. And he, he says, put the camera on that trophy. We won that together. Like that's the stuff that made Derek Jeter such a great leader and so loved by Yankees fans and the team. And yeah, one season's a very small sample size, but that's a pretty that's a pretty uh heavy substantial size and he's got all those intangibles and the tangibles that's the kind of guy we're looking at him potentially developing into here yeah another thing too i mean he made a mid-season adjustment really the end the towards the end of the season i mean of course you remember the strikeout rate of him swinging that outside pitch i mean we've talked about it a lot throughout the uh throughout the regular season about man is he really should should he be really in the second you know hold that lineup um, man, is it time to get Elidmus Diaz some time at shortstop because of his, you know, the way he's yeah. swinging? Diaz was hot at the time. Pena was, you know, struggling, striking out a lot lately. But, you know, he made the adjustment. And, you know, coming from a rookie to do that, obviously he had that high leg kick in the beginning. And then they talked, um, I think it was a sports reporter from Channel 2, KPRC. He said that he had made the adjustment with just a little toe tap. And, like, that changed his game, like, quick dude i mean that's how he's the world series mvp right now just things small little things like that credit to the hitting coaches as well centron snickers um great coaches i'm pretty sure they'll be involved in some job openings later in the future but um with that adjustment that they did for pena and even pena himself being able to do that crazy but like he said too with jeter i could see it I just love Correa so much when he was with us because he voiced like Jeter. To me, he voiced like the captain. Obviously, he was our captain, but I agree the way that Pena comes out and plays, learns the game. Um, you know, obviously he was shadowing under Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa even had told, you know, the reporters and the media that this guy's gonna be a stud. This guy's gonna be a Hall of Famer in the future. And sure enough, he did not miss out on that. I yeah. mean and he's already solidified himself in World Series history, postseason history. His kid has it all, and this is just his first year. So I'm excited to see what he can come and, you know, provide for us in the second year of, you know, of next year. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think he will become that vocal leader that Correa was. I think that's just a bit of a, you know, rookie thing. Well, he's not quite another, another thing, too, I mean, he had uh, – because Poppy had asked – who was it? Puppy had asked on the post game um interview or post game show on MLB Fox, and they had asked who gave out the speech for game game five. And they said Pena did. And because everybody, it's either Altuve, Bregman, Gurriel, or anybody like that. Vasquez was game um three and they got shelled, obviously. <laughs> And then they had asked, I can't remember who had asked, but they had asked somebody and they said Pena was the one that gave out the speech. So he's going to be vocal later on in the future. I mean, he, yeah. I mean I'm mean, i pretty sure he is now, but my gosh, Derek Jeter to compare, that's crazy. I mean, but I mean, it's, it's not wrong. I'm, he's done everything right, like Jeter. University of Maine graduate. Well, I don't even know he really graduated, but he went to the University of Maine. That's not obviously a D1, you know, top school like your Arkansas's your maybe your AMs, Texas, um, you know, all these power, you know, power hard schools out there. And right. the same thing with Peter when he came out of Michigan, he grad uh, not graduated, he got drafted out of a uh, high school. So 
yeah, I, I could see that. I honestly could see that. Yeah, I mean, it's just gonna be great watching his career, and I think he's gonna. I really think he's gonna have a good sophomore campaign uh, as well. He's he showed, and he showed in the World Series multiple times. He's really good at going up the middle, and in the in the post shift world, that may really help benefit him as, as well. But anyway, that that's a that's an off season preview topic. Uh, Dusty Baker becomes the oldest manager to win the World Series at seventy three years old. And how about Framber joining some elite company? With the lowest ERA uh, and one of the lowest ERAs in postseason history. Yeah, according to John Morosi, um, you know, obviously he was one of the reporters throughout the whole postseason. He has one of the lowest ERAs since 1995 in a postseason of 25 innings pitches. He joins John Swaltz, Madison Bumgarner, Kurt Schilling, Orlando Hernandez, Josh Beckett, Mike Messina, Kyle Hendricks. 144 ERA throughout the whole postseason. He ranks eighth on that list. To put your names with Smoltz, Schilling, Beckett, Messina, Bumgarner. Bumgarner is a freaking great postseason pitcher. I mean, it says a lot what his future is going to look like. And, I mean, throughout them games, throughout really throughout the season, like we talked about earlier in the episode, I mean, he's just shown. He's matured. He's grown. Um, like I said, I think that psych- psychologist deserves to be an MVP as well because he's helped Framber a lot, you know, through the mental side of his game. And sure enough, it showed throughout the season how he has become. Now, Framber's, I think Framber's with us for a little bit, you know, three more years, I believe. But, I mean, what puts yourself in that name of players? I mean, it's, it's a great and it's fascinating to see for Framber. Yeah, it is. And then, I mean, the bullpen as well was historically good. Yeah, I mean, this bullpen has been great throughout this postseason. Uh, per Sarah Lynx, Nationals bullpen this postseason ranks among 94 teams, 94 teams in the postseason, with 35 innings pitch from the bullpen in a single postseason, being the lowest in ERA with a 0.83, opponent's batting average with a 126, opponent's on-base percentage for 215, an opponent's slugging percentage for 208 with a whip of 0.75. This bullpen was fantastic. Crazy. I mean, throughout the whole postseason, everybody, you know, Brian Abreu, you, I mean, really just name all the whole people on that bullpen. They did great. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just fascinating what can, you know, happen in the game of baseball. Obviously, people says, you know, pitching wins you championships, offense wins you championships, defense Obviously, throughout this postseason, and even last year, we could testify to that as well. I mean, Atlanta had great bullpen players. They had good bullpen pieces. Um, They were called the night shift for a reason because, I mean, they worked their asses off. Obviously, they had Max Free that did pretty good. Ian Anderson did well against us as, um, you know, as well. And obviously, it shows that defense and pitching does win you championships. And we had some, you know, key defensive plays throughout the whole postseason and you know being the world series being the factor of them all and obviously without the starting pitchers and without this bullpen i don't think we've raised that trophy up and sure enough i mean being that just shows right there lowest in every category and you know for the pitching yeah no it it was absolutely absolutely dominant run from from this pitching team this pitching staff uh starters to bullpen everything in between uh they 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 were 
they were great. They, they were great. And I think just looking at this kind of culmination of this season and this win, and, you know, this is a team that in April we didn't know much about. You know, remember, there was a point in this season where we were, I think, third in the AL West, you know, just by a couple of games. But the Angels looked hot. The Mariners looked hot. Uh, and the Astros had issues. Like, we had legitimate issues back in, in the first part of the season. And to finish with 117 wins is just a huge testament to every guy on this roster. Uh, and, of course, the coaching staff and 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 Dusty Baker for, for pulling this off. Uh, but it just continues this run of greatness that the Astros are on. Uh, over the last 10 seasons, this is a graphic that was on, on MLB Network. Over the last 10 seasons, seven postseason appearances, six straight ALCS appearances, 2017-2022, four American League pennants in 17, 19, 21, and 22, and now two World Series titles. What an incredible run these Strohs have been on. Yeah, I mean, of course it's going to be in the conversation. I think everybody's been talking about, is this Astros team considered a dynasty now that when we brought in that 2020, 2022 World Series trophy back to our clubhouse, into the city of Houston, now we collected two World Series titles. Is it time to call this organization this golden age of baseball that we're witnessing from the Houston Astros, a dynasty. I'm not quite there yet. I think we're we're still like I was firm in the camp before this before this trophy. I said no, we're definitely not a dynasty. ALCS appearances don't mean anything at the end of the day, um, or you know World Series appearances that that doesn't mean shit. Trophies mean something, uh, and we've got two of them now. Uh, six years with six seasons between them. Give me one more in the next three or four years, that's a dynasty. Give me two or three more, that is one of the greatest dynasties. Uh, and I think that the Astros are fully in position to truly become uh, the great dynasty of the modern era of baseball. You know, like every decade has its dominant teams, and you could definitely say the Astros are one of the most dominant, if not surely maybe the, the most dominant, but I don't think they're fully, firmly a dynasty yet. But they've got the pieces and they've got the team to get there. We're going to get into off-season talk throughout, um, well, the off-season, and talk more about the free agents, contracts, this, that, or the other. But just real quick, to give you a bit of a perspective, the core of this team is going to be here for a while. Altuve, Bregman, Hector Neris, currently signed through 2025. That means we get at least three more seasons of those guys. Through 2026, we've got Ryan Presley, Framber Valdez, and Kyle Tucker. Through 2027, McCullers, Abreu, Garcia, McCormick. Through 2028, your World Series MVP, Jeremy Pena, and Jake Myers, who's a bit of a question mark, but still, nonetheless. <laughs> but through 2029, for seven more seasons, We've got Jordan Alvarez, and I think I think damn near as long as you've got him, your your championship window's open. Um, and, and I think you know there's plenty of guys in there that are deserving of extensions and that are going to get extensions. There's a couple that we're going to lose. You know, some of those guys maybe potential trade pieces or they'll walk when they hit free agency. Uh, but I fully expect the majority of this core 
to remain. You know, like you said, Jim Crane is in win now mode. Why wouldn't he be? You know, he's got these. The Astros have their foot on the neck of the rest of the American League. There's absolutely no reason to relent because it's it's completely winnable um, for for this franchise to keep stacking trophies. And I think that's completely possible. I think it's totally doable, and I look forward to watching it happen. Yeah, I think you know. For me, I think I'm gonna consider them a dynasty. Obviously, these yeah. this run that we've gone, you know, like it said, ten seasons. Obviously, you know, 2012, 2012 was our bad year. Twenty thirteen was our bad year. Twenty fourteen was our bad year. Twenty fifteen, that's when we saw the postseason. We tasted the postseason. We got to you know be a part of it. And that twenty fifteen wild card team was, if Cray doesn't make that error, we win the division. Or going to the ALCS, and then you can add another one onto that. Six straight ALCSs, four AL pennants, four World Series appearances, and you know, six straight, you know, in the six years of going to the ALCS and winning two. Obviously, it should have been three. We're not gonna about we're not we're not gonna get into do too much detail, you know, with 19. 21, I do agree. We had no place to be in that, you know, in the World Series. But at the same time, too, I think we were better than Boston um, and all the other teams that we had faced. But like you said, that championship window is going to be there for a while. It's going to be there for a while. Um, Obviously, Altuve and Bregman in 2025, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're going to resign both. Um, Maybe Altuve stays. Maybe Bregman stays. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. This team is very doable to win at least one more trophy in that, you know, two or three years from now. Obviously, the American League does consider, not consider, but continues to go through Houston. I have not seen one team. The only team, the only team, like I said, in the that when we were talking about the postseason coming up, the only team that I saw really in our way was the Seattle Mariners. And damn, damn sure I was right because the damn Yankees got fucking swept. Um. They're going to be they're going to be good. They're going to be good. Texas is going to start spending some money, too. They still got some money to spend. Uh, They didn't bring Bruce, uh, you know, Bruce Bochy. You think Bochy wanted to be a part of a rebuild stage? Hell no. This guy wants to win. They're going to be signing some players. Obviously, there has been not rumors, but Seattle would love to go after Carlos Correa. Or that shortstop and move JP Crawford either to second or third. I don't know what they're going to do with Crawford, but Yankees right now, they're trying to figure out who the hell, how the hell they're going to sign Aaron judge. If they're going to sign Aaron judge, what's going to be plan B for them, how they're going to continue to contend blue Jays. We thought they were going to be a great team and they are a great team. They got their lineup is stacked, but pitching is like the biggest problem for them. And I could continue going on throughout the whole, you know, American League to see who, you know, kind of could fit against us. But it still goes through Houston. We're going to have the pitching next year determining, you know, what's going to happen to JV if he comes back or not. Framber Valdez has shown he could be that ace. Obviously, Lance McCullers Jr. still got his stuff, even though that game three fiasco in the World Series did not go our way. He's still a great player. That guy took us to the World Series, really will pass the AODS to the ALCS. This team's going to be here for a while. That championship window is never going to close at all. And then Plus, with Jim Crane, the guy that wants to spin, the guy that will do anything for this team to continue to be on top of the world, 
crazy time to be for you know to be an Astros fan at this age and to be able to witness what we're witnessing right now. Yeah, it, it is great in that window. Like you said, it's wide open, and I think you know these next four or five years, I think two more trophies is even possible. Hell, give me three, and I know that's crazy to say, but I mean, there's no reason to expect this team to really to really take a step down. I mean, <laughs> we'll talk, we'll mention it in a little bit, and we'll break it down more in upcoming episodes. But I, I think you look at this lineup, and the there's the only way to go is up. We're not yeah. losing. We're not losing anybody. We're nope. going to improve at key positions that were basically absent all year long. We're going to make a change at first base, most likely. There's a good chance to make a change at catcher and maybe at center field as well. Like things are only going to realistically get better, of course, barring injury. Knock on wood. Uh, but this is a team with, with a lot of potential and a lot of hope. And to close the book on this 2022 season, uh, thank you guys. Uh, those of y'all that have been with yes. us since day one, those yes. of you guys who have found us somewhere along the way, it has been, speaking for myself, one of my favorite baseball seasons, if not my favorite baseball season uh, of my life, just being in the thick of it. Uh, I've watched and listened to more baseball this year than I ever have before, and I'm good for uh, quite a bit of baseball every year. Uh, but just you know, watching and following it at a high level, because uh, we love sharing it with you guys and doing this, and it's it's truly been a pleasure, uh, and I'm really grateful for all you guys that listen and enjoy what we're putting out for y'all. Yes, we we enjoy the engagement that we get from y'all as well. We just post tweets, we do giveaways as well, you know, just to show our appreciation for y'all, you know, sticking with us throughout the thick and the thin. Obviously, it's our first year being a podcast. I think we did, you know, not a bad job. Of course, the only way, like. Jim Crane's going to do is just go up and continue to get better at, yeah. you know, at the craft that we're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of, you know, congratulations, you know, celebratory, you know, everybody thinking and things like that, the parade, the world series parade, that's like the biggest, you know, topic right now. Well, not right now, but from yesterday, everybody being out there, being able to see these guys, I'm pretty sure the guys are thinking the fans as well to through sticking you know, throughout the whole season. Fortunately, I wasn't there because of work. You know, you know how that goes. Priorities got to get paid somehow and everything like that. However, Mr. Will, you were there. You witnessed the 2022 World Series Parade. I was there for 17. You were here for 22. Give us the vibes, dude. How was it? How was it being out there with 2 million Astro fans? Hopefully they were Astro fans or really Houstonians. No, yeah, it, it was pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, 2 million people was a lot of people uh, leaving the parade. I, I'm not one who gets like really flustered in crowds. Like it doesn't bother me. Uh, but that was a little overwhelming seeing all those people walking down Louisiana Street. Uh, no, but it was great. It, the the vibes were great. Um you know, you have your you have your handful of idiots and cranky people, but for the most part, it was just like everybody's there, flying flags and waving. And uh, you know, I got there around nine thirty, and it's about two and a half hour wait, of course. Um, just kind of standing, people just milling about. Um, you know, you have your little vendors selling crap, and ice cream truck <laughs> pulls up, and uh, it, it was it was just a cool experience. Uh, like a eight year old kid peed in the Gatorade bottle standing right next to me. Uh, that was kind of nice. gross. I was I was hoping he wasn't going <laughs> to spill on me. Um, but, I mean, you do what you got to oh do, gosh. bro. Um, no, it, it was neat, though, seeing everything. 
uh, kind of start from the top. The Clydesdales, the Budweiser Clydesdales, were there. They're so much bigger than nice. you think they are. If you've not, se- if you've never seen them in person, they are. I promise you, they're probably twice as big as you realize they are in your head. Uh, they're cool. Um, seeing all of the, you know, Houston legends. <laughs> it was kind of funny when the when like the Houston legend bus came by. Mattress Max at the front corner on my side of the street, and he's like waving. And the whole crowd's going, Mattress Mac, Mattress Mac. And completely ignoring the fact that, like, he's standing right next to Bun B and then Paul Wall and Johnny Dang are right there, too. Like, they're like an afterthought because everybody was so hyped to see Mattress Mac. Ton of Mattress Mac shirts. Oh, my God. So many Mattress Mac really? <laughs> uh, gangster shirts. Like, on, like, uh, people in the crowd and people on the floats. Um there were a lot of random people that I did not know on the floats. I guess just you know the staff and stuff. Front office, um, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, front of, and like the looked like a guy like had like a chef outfit on. I guess like maybe the dietitian or something. Nutritionist. I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but like you know, seeing all those people there. Luis Garcia was the first player. He was on a bus with other guys who had jerseys on that I didn't recognize. So I'm guessing they were like the bullpen catchers and stuff like that. Or, you know, you know some of those like non-rostered guys that are in uniform mm-hmm. yeah uh they are partying everybody was living it up uh the first trophy that came by was the 22 trophy and right before it got to like where i was alvarez lifted it up in the air and the confetti went off uh oh, and hell like, yeah and the jordan was lit he was feeling it uh he was uh, going crazy that was, that was gonna be my question next i was gonna say who which Asher you think was the most hammered? I, I've seen Ryan I Stanek. I saw Ryan Stanek. I saw Kyle Tucker like on a tweet. He was double fisting two beers. Framber Valdez had a jukebox with a beer in his hand. Hector Neris, you know how Hector Neris is partying and everything throughout yeah, you know the post game coverage. I mean, I needed to know who was the most hammered Astro out there. Of course, who cares know- if you're hammered? It was hard for me to see in the moment. I know, like I said, I know Jordan was feeling it. Like, and when I saw him, he was holding the trophy, so he didn't have the, any beers. But you could tell. And yeah, Tuck, I guess. But you know, Tucker always looks like he's kind of faded a little bit. You know, he's just got that <laughs> demeanor about him. Same with David Hensley. Those two guys could be brothers. Hens house, um, baby. Chaz was feeling it, and I and, and again, I've said it before, and I'll and I'll continue saying it. I I'm so happy for Chaz. He he reached, you know, he he gets got sent down and missed his boys, and the next thing you know, he's a World Series hero. Uh, and and and, and like how surreal must it be, you know, that you're not a bench player, but you know, you're not a superstar, and you look out at this crowd of two million people doing the Chaz Chomp just for you. Uh, that was that was cool seeing that. Um, trying to think, and then as as the as the Floats are going by. I did not see Framber. He must have been on the other side. I did not see Urquidy. Um Montero. I caught like I just I only saw him because I saw his 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 dreads. Um I'm trying to think. I didn't see Stanek, but I saw videos and pictures. He had a hose oh, I saw mad. him shotgun one. Yeah, he he had a hose mad shirt that he was holding up and he loved nice. that shit. Um that's a guy I want to re-sign ideally. Um, actually, I don't know what his contract is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was lit. Um, and then, and then after a while, I realized like, as there's only, I, I couldn't see if there was another float still coming and I was kind of sad. I was like, man, I didn't see Altuve. And then I was like, you know what? I didn't see Bregman either. And then I said, 
what the hell? Now that I think about it, I didn't see JV. <laughs> and then it hit me all at once. I was like, oh my God, like they put they put the five of them on a float together. And then sure enough, here comes the next float. And it's nice. And it's Bregman, Altuve, Verlander, Yuli, and Lance. Uh, and they were all together, you know, all the, the 2017 boys. The, the and, Fab and, Five, as the Astros tweeted out there. Yeah, the Fab Five, and they had the, the 2017 trophy. And Altuve had it, and, and he just looked so happy. We put, go look. If y'all don't follow us on Twitter, go look at the tweet we put out of how happy Jose Altuve looked. Um, and, I mean, that's just the whole other, you know, that guy, he was there through those 100 lost seasons. He was the leader of his clubhouse. He got more hate than anybody and deserved the least of it. And mm-hmm. he deserved that moment of getting to celebrate and and hold that trophy high uh, just as much, if not more than anybody else on that team. So it was great. It was, it was a really cool experience. My feet hurt right now. Um, <laughs> I'm ready to get my ass in the shower and get to bed. Um, Houston, y'all need some fucking deodorant. Um, I'll say that much. Two million people crammed on one street in that humidity. Uh, let's go. Let's go oh, out. And support Texas, old, let's go out and support that Texas heat, today. Man. It was it was <laughs> rough. It was rough down there. I smell crazy. Um, and y'all they're out there in the heat and the humidity and the sweat, rolling loud at nine in the morning. Y'all need Jesus a little bit, I think. Um, but it was <laughs> it was a good time. It was fun. Um, got a couple some you know souvenirs, mementos. I caught a towel from some random person. Uh, just nice. like bounced off some lady's head and right into my hand. That's pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> the assist. Yeah, no, it was cool. It was a cool experience. I'm really grateful that I went and and, and got to witness it. Something I look forward to, like telling my kids about one day. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully, we get some more parades in our future and and we get to celebrate together. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I was at work. I couldn't be a part of it, and that was the. You know, I was sad about it, but at the same time, too, of course, I have to do my responsibilities and everything like that. But I was there for 17. I remember that. And they were saying that 19, you know, 19, 22 was like the most packed. You know, a lot more people had came out for this parade yeah. than 17, which is really crazy. I think it was like 1.5, I believe, or 1 million for 17 parade. And 22 was, you know, double that almost. So it's like it was crazy. You know, I thought it would have been. I remember my experience. We got there around, I believe, eight thirty or eight, and we we got a good spot. And like you said, just waiting and standing, you know, there forever, just waiting for these guys to come out for literally a forty, like a thirty minute parade, just to see these guys. It was about just an the hour. dedication. I was it was, oh, it was about an, hour. an hour. I was, I was. That's what I was expecting too. I figured like half an hour, but no, it was about an hour. Actually, right on the dot, an hour. Uh, which which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean it's a great experience, dude. I'm glad you got to you know check it out and everything like that. Brought some souvenirs back home. Um, yeah. but like you said, hopefully we continue doing this and you know probably celebrate with our families later on in the future, even with ourselves. Yeah, and and so that officially you know is we're we're done partying. It's time to move forward. It's the off season. Uh, the stove is already hot around the league. And there's some big questions looming for the Astros. We're not going to get too into it today. Uh, we'll briefly mention some of those topics. We are going to obviously continue going throughout the off season, uh, but we've been going, <laughs> we've been going pretty heavy this last month. Uh, in addition to throughout this season, so we're going to go to once a week. We're going to go to once a week episodes uh, dropping on Monday mornings. 
we'll tweet them out throughout the week. Uh, you know, plenty to cover. Uh, and then as needed, we'll have emergency podcasts. So like, you know, big free agent news breaks. We'll have, you know, a short little blast to just to discuss whatever happened. Uh, but plan on those every Monday. Uh, we're going to try to hopefully get some guests on, cross over with some other Astros podcasts, uh, you know, whatever comes our way. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to getting into that. But yeah. a couple of those topics to kind of wet your whistle. Um, obviously, free agents. We had a, a slew of Astros become free agents today, uh, yesterday. Michael Brantley, Yuli Gurriel, Jason Castro, Lemus Diaz, Christian Vasquez, Rafael Montero, uh, and then Trey Mancini, Will Smith, and Justin Verlander all have options that have yet to be exercised. Uh, so we're going to have to discuss who's going to resign from that group, who stays, uh, who goes on. I'm going to assume Jason Castro is officially retiring. I don't think he's made an official yep. statement, but uh, that's another guy. Tip of the cap. He was supposed <laughs> to be the savior 10 years ago. And he's going out with the ring. I know. You know who else is going out with the ring? Nico Goodrum. Pedro Baez. Yeah, he is. Pedro Baez. <laughs> Jake Odorizzi, the legend himself. Yeah. Got got them. So, and, and we'll go more in depth with this on probably next week's episode. We're going to see some movement here. We'll probably see some some of these things going down within the next week. Uh, the offseason just kind of goes like that where like it's like long periods of nothing. And then bam, 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 bam. Like six things happen at once. Uh, and then, you know, you go back to long periods of nothing and rumors and this, that, and the other. Um, I think the big one to keep an eye on that will happen relatively quickly is Justin Verlander. Uh, as of the time of this recording, Justin right Verlander now. has not exercised his player option. Um, Crazy. In the post game on Saturday, one of the inter- reporters asked Jim Crane about that, and he said that Verlander was his first call Monday morning uh, to try to get him to stay. Do you think we do you think the Astros re-sign Verlander or do, well A, do you think he opts out or do you think he honors the second year of his contract? And B, if he opts out, do you like the Astros' chances of re-signing him? I think he does opt out just for the money, like I said. Um, obviously I would love for him to stay in that second year, but obviously the way he yeah. performed this year after Tommy John and everything like that, a World Series champion now, he's gonna opt out. My second would be, yes, I think the Astros are going to be aggressive on him. I really think, you know, him and Jim Crane have a great relationship. Obviously, you saw, you know, he had a tryout in that season of 21, having, you know, scouts and everything like that from each team to go out there and check him out, see how he's going. And I believe they said it was between us and the Yankees. And, you know, he's loyal to his Astro teammates, to the Astro fan base and everything like that. And, like, just two, the biggest one of them all, having a great relationship with the owner and Jim Crane, everybody has every, everybody has said great things about Jim. Jim's always the guy that goes out there, you know, ask how you're doing, um, how's the family and everything like that. I think there was one time that McCullers, his daughter had some kind of like emergency. I can't remember with her health. And Jim Crane offered McCullers his plane from, I think it was Arlington to Houston to fly back, um, you know, to get the medical help. I mean, that's what not a lot of owners do that. And, you, you know, the yeah. culture that we build in this clubhouse and everybody like from players like Mancini, he's like, when I got here, I felt like I was welcome, you know, brand new and everything like that. Same thing as Christian Vasquez. Obviously, everybody saw the pictures of Christian Vasquez getting traded and you're like, oh, well, he didn't want to be in Houston. Nah, he just got traded from being with the team for like eight, seven to eight years with Boston. So his whole and he come- life. 
Yeah, and so he comes to Houston. Obviously, it's a new chapter. But even he said, he's like, man, I had a great time to one of the best fans in the world. Saying that over Boston, that's pretty crazy. Um, but the culture that Crane has built here, I hope Verlander does see that and see what we're trying to do and what we're continuing to do. But at the same time, too, you understand. He has his two World Series rings. Obviously, you look at the age, you're going to have to see how many years Crane will give him, too, with the amount of money for being each year. It just depends. You know, if he does leave Houston with all by all means, dude, I mean, he's done everything that we've asked for and trying to get somebody to come to Houston and bring us a World Series championship. And obviously that 27, that big trade in 2017, August 31st, I believe that was the day of the deadline, helped Houston bring their first championship home. So if he if he does, JV, thank you for your time in Houston. I like I said, I do firmly believe that your number is going to be retired. 35 is going to be hanging on the rafters and hopefully, hopefully I see to the hall of fame with the nationals hat. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I think he does opt out. Um, I think the Astros will be more aggressive with him than they were with Carlos Correa. Uh, yeah. I don't think the Astros are going to overpay for him. It's going to be really, I, and it's a really tricky situation because there's not really a market for this. How many thirty? How many forty-year-old pitchers um, coming off Tommy John are there? You know that that really in this day and age that can demand the price tag that he's going to be looking for. Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking it's probably gonna, he's probably going to be looking for four or five years for somewhere around 125. Um, and I mean that's not cheap and that is risky. If that happens, if we're going to sign him on a deal like that, it's got to have, and I'm sure they will. Um, you know, some, not incentives, but some qualifiers, some innings pitched, um, qualifications. Like I think Jake Odorizzi had some of those in his, uh, in his contract with us. Um, I think you have to have those in there just to protect the team in case of, uh, injuries, things like that. I think the big spending teams are going to push really hard on him. Dodgers, I'm not so sure about, but I, I I really think New York is, the Yankees are going to throw everything they have. Uh, at him and that's that that's a tough team to outbid um but i think that you know the intangibles there like you said that that relationship that affection i think that comes into play and i think there's a good chance because the astros have a ton of money to play with um there's a lot of mm-hmm. money that came off you know a lot of money came off the books uh from grinky and from verlander's last contract and obviously correa comes off the books you have a young core that's not costing you a lot of money and that you're not really in a super hurry uh, to re-sign right now. And you don't have a ton of expensive moves that need to be made in the offseason. So I think the money's there if Crane wants to spend it. uh, I I definitely think it's a possibility. I'm going to say like a 60% chance he re-signs with with Houston all said and done. Um, The other ones, Brantley, Yuli, Diaz, I think it's fair to say he's gone. Christian Vasquez is interesting. Uh, and Rafael Montero, yeah. uh, you know, and, and again, next week episode, we'll we'll get into each of these in depth. There's a lot of interesting scenarios here for how some of these guys, uh, their future looks with Houston or with someone else. But the one future or two futures that are going to be determined first before we can do any of that is we got to figure out who the hell is leading this front office next year and who the hell is the manager of this team. Because as it currently stands, Dusty Baker and James Click do not have contracts for 
but yeah, do not have contracts for next year. Mm-hmm. We do not have ex- extensions for them. Are not in the. We don't know anything about them. Um, Jim Crane, we said he said he'd visit and talk with them on Monday with James Click specifically. Um, we didn't hear anything yesterday. Maybe we hear something today. Uh, obviously, with the parade, that kind of you know don't want to dampen the mood. What do you think? Does James Click come back as the GM of the Astros? You know, it would suck if he doesn't. I think he'd really made his shot right there with the Astros and he did everything right I believe I mean obviously 2020 with bringing him and Dusty in it was kind of like one of the worst years for us it just like everything went from high just went all down because the cheating scandal then we had to go travel everywhere and then COVID as well has happened Um, James Click as a manager has done pretty well I mean he re-signed Yuli in the 2020 season he brought in Ryan Stanek. Obviously, he has ties with Ryan Stan because he uh, Stanek had pitched in Tampa Bay. Does great trade acquisitions, you know, getting Kendall Graveman and Rafael Montero and giving up Abraham Toro. Obviously, Toro wasn't going to play anywhere in this infield. Graveman was the one to be, you know, the pitcher that year because Montero was hurt. The future was Montero, and sure enough, it paid off this year. Um, Phil Maton as well in Yanni Erdias. We gave a mouth straw. That was that was hard to swallow because Miles Straw was a loved one here in Houston. And you know, the speed that he has and the range that he plays in center field. And he, I think he was a I don't even did he win the gold glove for center field in the American League? I believe so. I think so as well. So, you know, shout out to him uh doing things in Cleveland. Obviously, that's a young group over there, but obviously Phil Maton. Phil Maton did great in the World Series in 21. Obviously, it didn't end well for him after getting, you know, giving up a hit to his brother. And, you know, next thing you know, he breaks his hand. Um, it happens, I guess. And then, but the biggest one of them all was being Yanni Diaz. Yanni Diaz was a prospect in the farm system over there in Cleveland. Comes to Houston. Guy's already in Triple A. He's representing the Astros in the Futures game. All-Star game, everything like that. Whatever they have in the minor leagues. That's the future right there. Same thing. Um, I know I'm missing one more that he did. Well, I mean, this past year's uh, trade acquisitions, giving up Jose Siri to Tampa Bay, and then we get that was that three team trade with Baltimore, us, and Tampa Bay. Uh, again, Trey Mancini. We needed a you know a bat in our lineup. We needed first base. We didn't know how Yuli was going to be because of how he was hitting in the regular season. It went good, but then at the same time, too, at the end of the season, Trey Mancini wasn't doing very well. Obviously, it carried into the postseason, but hey, he's a World Series champion. Um, and then the biggest one, I think, was getting Christian Vasquez. Christian Vasquez, you know, starting catcher throughout his whole career in Boston, comes to Houston and has to play a backup role, you know, which is pretty crazy. You know, you never want to be a backup at the same time, too. If you want to win championships, you got to sacrifice and do things to help this team get better. And that's what he did. And him and Maldonado had a conversation um, James Click, I think, was in that conversation as well, just trying to see how it's going to figure out. And they said Maldonado is going to take care of it. Vasquez obviously, you know, said, okay, you know, it's your team. I understand everything like that. And look what happened. I mean, he got us an insurance run. He did really well in that Yankees. Called a great game in that no-hitter. The Yankees as well, um, you know, throwing out and making key at-bats, everything like that. I mean, everything went well for us, and we only gave up Emmanuel Valdez, which I really thought he was going to be great. And Will Your Brain. 
Yeah, when you were breaking. So I thought that was gonna that was a great one. And then obviously giving up that Jake Odorizzi contract. We needed to dump that out. And we yeah, got we Will did. Smith. That we need huge. we needed we needed a lefty in the bullpen. Um obviously Will Smith didn't pitch in the postseason, which you know, I don't know if it was kind of a good thing or a bad thing. It would have been nice to see him at least pitch one inning just yeah. to, you know, say that you did pitch in the World Series. At the end of the day, he got a World Series ring. Jake Odorizzi got a World Series ring. Everybody's happy. We dumped that contract. Mm-hmm. So what he has done through his time in Houston, you know, given that trust to Jeremy Pena and, you know, having to deal out Correa, having to deal out um, George Springer after that 20 season, not making any trades in that 2020 season as well when, you know, that short season with a trade deadline and we didn't make nothing out of it. We went to Game 7 of the ALCS, which possibly we could have went to the World Series and played the Dodgers again. I think he deserves a shot, you know, being here for another, you know, two or I don't know how their contracts usually go for general managers. The same time, too, I even said if James Click loses this World Series, he's gone. But obviously we won. I honestly think he deserves a chance, you know, two or three-year contract. Um, He's proved it. He's shown it to Jim Crane. Only thing that he hadn't done was make the big splash real quick. I'm going to just say that, um, you know, we had the chance of getting William Contreras, not William Wilson Contreras in exchange for Jose or but Jim Crane didn't like it. It was a verbal agreement. Crane didn't approve of it. And I think Dusty Baker didn't approve of it, which, you know, it turned out to be great for us. Obviously we won the world series, but we talked about being that big splash. Who, when are we going to see that? And, the big splash and it got denied um yeah but you know so I, I, the more i think about it and and that's part of my my where i look at this is that maybe it's a good thing that he's not making the big splashes because you know yeah. lou now made those big splashes and you know jv worked out uh and but really like when you go back and look the jv trade was not that as much of a big splash as i think we kind of make it out to be in our heads um as far as prospects go um, you know, the, the Grinky trade a little bit more so, but I mean, Lunau left the cabinet really bare. You know, we, we talked about mm-hmm. before the yeah. farm system, there's just not a ton of guys there, and so it's hard, I think, to judge Click for his trades because of that. Because, like, he's not working with a, you know a, a really great deck, um, to build trades out of. I think the biggest criticism of, of Click, it's also kind of one of his strengths, is his free agent acquisitions. Um, obviously, like Pedro Baez, Nico Goodrum, uh, not the Jacob Rizzi, not the best, not the best uh, signings. Uh, but I mean, he re-signed Justin Verlander, and we got a Cy Young out of him and a World Series trophy. And he got Ryan Stanek, he got Hector Neris. Like this bullpen has his fingerprints all over it, and it was arguably yeah. the bullpen that won us this World Series. Like that was him. Mm-hmm. That was the you know kind of like. The weakness that, that we the were X-Factor. dealing with throughout, yeah, that was the weakness we were dealing with throughout 21, 2020, you know, all the other years, even 2019, we, we didn't have a strong one. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We didn't have a strong bullpen. Obviously, you know, Will Harris getting up that home run. Um, yeah, I mean that he addressed the biggest weakness, and sure enough, it paid off in getting us a trophy. Yeah, and and I think my biggest thing here is is you know talking. You mentioned that Contreras trade and and. Uh, crane nuking it that's fine and good and all and in hindsight you know looking back we won but i mean if that would have been the move that click made it would have been widely regarded as a good trade 
And I think we yeah. all would have been excited for it. And I don't know necessarily if that changes how things play out um, down the line, but it concerns me a little bit. And I, I know that owner approval is a thing, but there's been multiple people that have said comments to the effect of crane is getting more involved in baseball operations. And yes. I'm not, a, I, I don't love that. Um, as a me Cowboys either. fan, as a Cowboys fan, I know oh, path. I know the path that that <laughs> leads down and it's not, a, it's not a good one. Um, and so I don't, I hope that that's not, I hope that, that those rumors are kind of overstated, but I I'm personally yeah. in camp keep, keep click as well. Uh, because I think that there's just, I think philosophy is changing in baseball. I think everybody shifted really hard to analytics and Jeff Lunau was at the center of that. And I think that there's kind of coming back toward the middle of marrying that old school instinctive uh, emphasis on scouting uh, emphasis on feel um, and, and taking that and combining it with new age analytics. And I think, I think James click and, and dusty Baker specifically are a good combination of that um, of kind of bouncing each other out and they, Shit, they won a World Series. Yeah, shit. I mean, three AL AL ALCS appearances. Um, you know, obviously two of them going to the World Series. Maybe it is good. Old school and new school, like you said, analytics. I mean, you even heard Correa said that that TBS, um, you know, the broadcast that analytics is changing the game, and now how coaches and you know owners look for players and GMs, they look at on base percentage. How is this guy better than this guy? It is yeah. not looking at the home run, you know, total or the RBIs that they bring in, everything like that. They're looking at slugging percentage, on base percentage, Woba. OPS, WOBA. Yeah, I mean, the game has changed. And, you know, like you said, maybe you do need an old head with analytics in this game because obviously Dusty showed trust in Urquidy. And even Urquidy did well throughout that August, September kind of, you know, splits. I don't know, but I, I think James Click de- deserves another chance. I think he deserves, like I said, I think if a contract would come up, I'd say three years. Yeah, I, I think there's a good chance we see that. Um, and if if Crane does not does not re-sign James Click, uh, I do not want to see a Lunell disciple. That's I, I really don't want um, David Stearns, who went up to Milwaukee, um, and I mean his leadership. I, I don't know what his title was there. He was not GM. Maybe he was I president he was of baseball, baseball ops or like VP. I think. He yeah, was VP like of that. baseball ops or something. Yeah. Um, but he was kind of highly criticized from within the Brewers organization. Um, and then obviously the other guy that's going to get thrown around is Sig Maydal, Mejdal, who is with the Orioles. Um, and he was a Lunau disciple. He'll be a big name. Um, if I'm Jim Crane and I don't want to click the guy that I'm going to make say no. I think it's Alex Anthopoulos of the Braves. <laughs> I I really do. I think that that's the guy that you that you you talk to, um, if only because look what he's done with their stars. He's that got their gosh, core locked dude. up for ten years, uh, and I would take just that. That would be enough for me. Um, the Braves. I mean, off the top of my head, not any huge trades. I mean, they went out and signed. They they went out and well, signed they Matt, Matt Olson as a Friday Friday free agent. Um, Twenty one. They had key acquisition, key trades: Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler. Yeah. Um, you know all them other players that helped them get to that World Series title. 
And like you said with the contracts, I mean, these rookies, Spencer Strider and Michael Harris, they just broke out this year, and they're locked up for a good while. Matt Austin Olson Riley's locked up got, for 14 yeah. years. Matt Olson got traded, and he got uh, extended just like in a, you know, in a week span, I believe. So that core, dude, that core is going to be there for a while. I think Okunia and Albies needs contract. Like, you know, I think they need to start talking about contract because I don't know. It's either or one of them um, that has to, you know, talk about the future of being there. But that that Braves roster, dude, is stacked for a good while. And and see, then that's what I think that you got to look at the Astros as a team that's similar to the Braves and that you have a lot of young talent and a lot of like middle talent. And then you have your veterans. Uh, And obviously, like he's not afraid to let the veteran, you know, the, the hometown kid walk, you know, he let Freeman walk in free agency. Um, yeah. You know, he, like, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that's like beholden to keeping those guys at the expense of the organization. Um, so that, that, that'd be my guy that I'd want to target. Now, what would make him leave Atlanta for Houston? I don't know. Probably not that much unless crane money whips him, um, which if you're if you're a billionaire, you're a billionaire. Go for it. Do what yeah. you want, buddy. <laughs> um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll we'll keep an eye on this situation. Uh, we'll probably find out something this week, and we'll do a short emergency podcast uh, to kind of talk about it. Uh, Dusty Baker, I I I think Dusty's coming back. I unless yeah. he unless he retires, um, which I could see happening as well. I could see him choosing to retire. But if he wants to keep coaching, Crane's not going to fire him. No, nah, I think he's I think he's staying. But he's going to resign. He even said he wanted to win more. So, um, I mean, he's done good with Houston. Obviously, we've had our, you know, disagreements about him, you know, his moves that he had made over managing and everything like that this whole year. You know, we've said it and all, but the postseason, I mean, it, that's when it mattered most. And he did the, yeah. you know, he did a great job, phenomenal job. So, yeah, I think Dusty, will maybe, you know, two-year deal again, maybe, you know. Yeah, option. we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. And then obviously, you know, we got a couple other holes to fill. First base, uh, catcher, center fielder, and maybe a center fielder, and maybe a starting pitcher as well. Um, so those are all things that we will cover as we get more into the offseason. That hot stove is warming up. Uh, the Mets signed a huge extension with with Edwin Diaz uh, first thing on Sunday. So, I mean, like, it, it's going. We're, we're going right into it. This is sure to be a busy offseason. Uh, full a lot of, of opt-outs, lots of twists and turns. Yeah, and a lot of opt-outs throughout the league. And, you know, once the dust kind of settles by the end of this week, we'll have that for you on next Monday's episode, uh, kind of look taking a look at what the stove looks like. But, again, guys, we are so thankful for y'all being on this journey with us. We're so glad that the Astros are world champions once again. Let's go do it again next year. Yes. See you guys.